Hey everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Sports Psych MD's Welcome podcast. Welcome everybody. This is episode number 14. Yeah. And this is a Sentinel One episode. Four. Wow. We're doing our, our first in-person interview. First in-person interview. So yes, hopefully sir. it won't sound like we're in a submarine. <laughs> I hope not. Wow. But yeah. we have a great one in store for you guys today. Epic. Yeah. So we're going to get into it, but we're going to talk about everything eating disorders related. Or feeding disorders, <laughs> depending on where you stand. Yeah. So eating disorders among athletes is, is huge. Yeah. And then our special guest. Janelle, the gazelle. The stud track cross-country athlete herself. Is, yes, is, the superstar. Joined us for a runner. Beautiful extraordinary interview. Janelle Leoping. We had a beautiful interview, so sit back, relax. And enjoy the show. Enjoy the ride. Let's go. Let's go. We yeah, well we upgraded a little bit. Moving on up. Yeah, not get rid of my sweating gun. in that hot box apartment. Yeah, I feel without you. central air conditioning. Hey hey, come on now, don't disrespect <laughs> the studio suite. No doubt. You know what? I mean, you're right there in the heart of UCLA Westwood. You know, right there, pretty much at the this you know seat of the campus. So. Oh yeah, stones throw away. That's right. Actually, well, yeah. I got a laser rocket arm. Anyways, what do we got in store today? We got a, we got an interview, first time in person interview. Uh, but first, before we get to that, let's let's present the topic: mm-hmm. eating disorders, feeding, and eating disorders within athletes. That's right. That's right. So no, it's, it's a big deal, man. It's a big deal. I, mean, I know deal. a lot of people probably heard that and they were like, "Okay, why do I care about eating disorders?" <laughs> like, I mean, you know. That's something that you see these anorexic people out here, you know, walking around or whatever. That's not me. I mean, what do I have to worry about that? You know, what I have to worry about somebody that goes to the bathroom to vomit because they are so concerned about their body image. Why does that matter? I mean, looking at the numbers, the prevalence is a lot higher than I initially thought. Really? Yeah, especially in athletes. So. Let's go ahead and jump in. Let's talk about anorexia, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. That's probably the most well-known eating disorder, anorexia nervosa. Yeah, yeah. And what about it? If we're talking about numbers, 1% of women have anorexia nervosa, 1 in 100. Wow, okay. That's, that's, that's quite a bit. But, I mean, listen, we're, most of these people we're talking to are either athletes or they, they're concerned about athletes. So what about athletes? Like, what? Well, if you're looking at athletes, and there's several studies online, just pick one. A lot of them from Europe, a lot of them from the U.S. A lot of them are, you'll see are from westernized cultures because eating disorders are more prevalent in westernized cultures, and we won't diverge off topic to discuss the reason that is, <laughs> but unnecessary pressure that our culture puts on, on individuals, women specifically, about body image. But a lot of them, up to 20 to 60% of women in it's sports... It's a huge problem. Suffer with eating disorders. It's a huge problem in sports. And you know, man, it's one of those things people don't like to talk about. Yeah. That's they don't like le- to talk about it. That's at least 20 times more prevalent in sports than in the general population. It's a huge problem. Yeah. So that's why we're talking about this today. Why not? Pandora's box, though, right? Yeah, I mean, eating disorders is a messy topic. You know, no, no pun intended. I mean, it's just messy. It's just... A lot of it is about 
what I've come to learn, and, and trust me, I, you know, I'm no expert. You know, the field of psychiatry has people that are kind of dedicated to that because it's, it's a high-level expertise kind of field. Um, but you got to give yourself a lot of credit. We both did train at UCLA with did. one of I the saw, premier yes, eating disorder units in the country. Yes, sir. Under some of the doctors that have revolutionized how to approach and treat anorexia and eating disorders. Yeah, man. No, we, you're right. I mean, we, we definitely had a rich experience. I mean, I, I did. You had uh, an even more extensive one. But yeah, I mean, to see people who are hospitalized for eating disorders is, is uh, quite an impressive thing. Yeah. So anorexia nervosa specifically has the highest mortality rate among all psychiatric illnesses, meaning it has the highest death rates among all the psychiatric illnesses, more than schizophrenia, more than bipolar, more than depression, more than anxiety. Wow. And isn't that wild? I would have, I would have never guessed, yeah. certainly. I mean, there's just no way. Yeah, so 5 to 18% of individuals with anorexia will die, whether that's from suicide or from electrolyte imbalances or different things due to not eating, like multiple organ system failure. You have sudden death. You have starvation. Talk about the electrolyte imbalances. Potassium goes off. Heart problems. Get what? Torsades de pews. We won't get into that, but that's when your heart just pretty much zaps out, essentially. Right. Yeah, man. So it's serious stuff. So that's why we want to talk about it today. Let's talk a little bit about what are the types of anorexia. Mm-hmm. So we yeah. got restrictive type. Right. And we got the purging type. The purging. Yeah. So, you know, we have those that just don't eat. Right. Yep. I mean, they literally just will, you know, skip several meals in a row. And if they do decide to eat, you know, it'll be something scarce, yeah. you know, something just to get them by. The restrictive type, those are the people that really need that control. Mm-hmm. And that's oftentimes associated, all eating disorders are associated with anxiety. We're going to get more into that. But the restrictive type, a lot of times associated with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, right, yeah. obsessive compulsive personality disorder. So it gets to a point where they're so obsessed, they're so compulsive about the way they eat, they, they restrict. Yeah, just going back real quick to the personality mm-hmm. disorders, because I, I think it's it's something that people often get confused. You know, what's the difference between a personality disorder and, you know, a general mental health disorder? And um, it's probably more complicated than this, but, you know, at the end of the day, you can spot a person who has a, a, a personality disorder because he, he or she will uh, have very poor, if any, insight into the fact that they have this set of problems that, you know, they, that they do, um, whatever the case may be. There's a variety of different personality disorders. In the case of OCPD, you have a person that, you know, has a pervasive need for control, uh, express that in ways of repetitious performance, mm-hmm. you know, repetitious thinking. Cleanliness. Um, hyper focus on cleanliness for sure part of their personality they and they have no idea that it's weird because they've always been that we way. call it egocentric, yeah which means it doesn't bother them that they're a neat freak versus ocd those obsessions of having to touch the doorknob seven times having to wash their hands 38 times they don't enjoy that mm-hmm. that disrupts them and disturbs them greatly it creates anxiety for sure definitely a vicious cycle and you know for those with ocd uh, as opposed to OCPD, you know, that's something that's going to have an onset probably in adulthood, you know, young adulthood. Um, at the end of the day, it's not something they always had, right? So, you know, it's something that um, well, it depends becomes... Well, what which psychiatrist you talk to yeah, about that. that's true. 
Um, but you can imagine if up to 18, 19, 20 years old or, or, or more, you're kind of one way. You have a certain identity, a certain sense of who you are, and then all of a sudden you acquire a condition, right, that changes how you feel, you know, changes your way of thinking about things, um, which are ultimately going to change your behavior, you know, change your decision-making. And that can be extremely uh, anxiety-provoking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the second type is binging and purging, yep. which the one you mentioned, someone that needs to go to the bathroom after they eat. Yeah. They, maybe they need to use laxatives, so it, it's associated with an increased use of substance use. Stimulants, anything they can get their hands on to lose weight. Yeah, Adderall is great for that. Yeah, right. and then this one's associated with like cluster B, so more of that like borderline personality disorders, mm-hmm. histrionic, different yep. things like that. And you know, uh, certainly a poor sense of self, right? Yep. And you know, body image issues, you know, yeah. and, and just general self awareness issues. We're, we're going to talk a lot about anxiety because every individual with an eating disorder has pretty much the same prodrome or same beginning to the disorder. It's actually one of the most homogeneous psychiatric illnesses that we have. All the prodromes look the same. So any patient you have, any individual you meet that has an eating disorder, most likely, almost 100% of the time, they were anxious. They're constricted. They're inhibited. They're shy. They fear change. And a lot of times they're neurotic. They have high levels of emotionality. And that usually, almost all the time, underlies that eating disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, what we're talking about, obviously, is the textbook, you know, kind of like definition of eating disorder and, and what would be like a, a clinical case, right? A, a case that, you know, this person has to have treatment to survive, mm-hmm. right? This person, you know, we need to intervene. We need to have, you know, a, a uh, intervention now, right? Well, a, lot, so, a lot of these individuals never get diagnosed. They say that eating disorder is one of the most highly underrepresented, underdiagnosed psychiatric illnesses. Yeah. You know, but what's interesting is that, like with most things in psychiatry, mental health, like there's a spectrum, right? There's a spectrum of of illness. And, you know, what you see in the athlete population, as opposed to the general population, is a group of people that are are largely functional, right? So this is kind of a different flavor, if you will, of eating disorder that really doesn't necessarily come with all of the comorbidities and all of the the junk that you know we just described we're talking about people that are actually kind of using this in some ways to be more competitive yeah you know yeah now this can be a breaking point for mm-hmm. sure well i think there's there's a lot of individuals i mean obviously when we work the inpatient you know we're seeing the sick of the sick but there's a lot of individuals out there like i said that have eating disorders and never been treated and, and are just managing they're managing to get by but it's a slippery slope, and a lot of these individuals, uh, when talking with the professionals in the in the field, talk about how a lot of times the initial weight loss isn't purposeful just to lose weight. It's whether it's in a sport you want to lose weight so you can run faster, mm-hmm. or maybe you have a, a, a toothache or a tooth pulled or an illness, a medical illness, where you start to lose weight. And it's when that you first get that initial loss of weight where. The person with an eating disorder usually has a predisposition to lose weight. So then they lose weight rapidly. And as the weight comes off, the body image, the skewed body image worsens. So despite everyone around them saying, no, you're extremely skinny, the person with the eating disorder doesn't see that. 
and their skewed body image, oh, there's fat here, there's fat there, gets worse and worse the more weight they lose. So that's why what makes anorexia the hardest thing to treat in psychiatry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like you said, for athletes, losing weight, maybe you can run a little bit faster. Maybe as a gymnast, you look better in front of the judges. That's right. That's and, right. and wrestling, cut weight. You have to do it. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, I mean, you know, a lot of the, a lot of times it's you know otherwise normal healthy people, right? Um, that probably would not have had an eating disorder, but they're in a sport. They have a competitive nature, and the sport dictates success within the sport dictates that they eat in such a way, feed <laughs> in <laughs> such a way. Uh, as to maintain a, a certain shape, a uh, certain size, and, and you know, it, it, it predicts success. That's the mm-hmm. thing. You know, what, what, was, what was so impressive about Janelle's story is that there was literally for her, you know, at stages a direct correlation between the weight loss and the performance, you know. And we were talking about becoming school record holder, you know, you're, you know, you're winning championships, you know, you're competing at a high level in New York City. And you're you getting know? congratulated by your coaches, you're yeah. getting scholarship offers. You know what I mean? It's the culture in, in a lot of sports. Yeah, it, it's crazy, you know, and of course she, you know, she earned that athletic scholarship at Northwestern University where she was a conference academic All-American and, you know, it's this reinforcing kind of thing, right? And, you know, obviously... You know, the coaches, you know, they encourage it. You know, they, they, they want to see results. You know, the, your teammates, you know, everybody's yeah. doing it. Yeah. You know, this is what you got to do. And they got to walk that fine line. And, and what we'll hear about in the interview is there's no, in a lot of these programs, there's no mental health expert there to to help guide them or to help educate them on the risks of, of these behaviors. Um, you do have medical experts there that can step in at the last moment. Mm-hmm. But at that time, a lot of times that's too late. Yeah. So I don't want to spoil the interview, but it's, gonna, it's a great interview, so definitely stick around. So let's, you want to talk a, bit, a little bit about how do, we, how do you treat it, an mm. eating disorder? How do you treat anorexia? It's tough, it's tough man. Um, but look, I think the treatment has to be intensive. One thing about people with eating disorders is that there's a lot of shame. You know, there are a lot of, of layers of burden. At this point, once they've come into to a doctor's office seeking help, I mean, you're probably talking about several months, if not several years, you know, pain and struggle. A lot of them aren't coming in on their own no. accord. No, no, no. They, they either get to a point where they can't physically continue or a relative, a parent, someone else is forcing them to go because the behaviors mm-hmm. have gotten so extreme. You know, a coach or someone, you know, has stepped in and intervened, a trainer or whatever. And it's the it's this lifestyle, you know, needing to hide things from those that you love that you know would obviously care about you and you know the restrictive nature you know it's 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 about restricting yourself essentially kind of punishing yourself you know it's about control it's about control it's about control but control with unhealthy consequences yeah so when when it comes to treating you have to treat that underlying anxiety that underlying need for control or that underlying feeling of losing control because it's it's there in every patient with anorexia so you treat that cognitive behavioral therapy. You work at those those negative views, those thought distortions about themselves. You, you really you do cognitive restructuring to help them realize you're you're not trying to convince them that they're skinny. 
that they're no. too thin because that's never going to change. You have to allow them to trust you because they're always going to have that skewed body image. That's not going to go away. But you have to allow them to be able to be opened up, to relinquish some control, to trust the others around them that are saying, no, listen, you are, even though you, you don't see it, everyone else around you sees it, this isn't healthy. And by trusting others and giving up that control, then they can get better. So you treat the underlying anxiety and a little cognitive behavioral therapy, SSRIs, really mm-hmm. helpful. Absolutely. If, like you mentioned before, if you have the OCD symptoms, some obsessions, yeah, components. Have to have to do maybe, SSRI. Maybe a little bit of an antipsychotic, a little Risperdal. Maybe. We use that a lot in the inpatient unit. Maybe. As long as it's not, you know, going to increase weight gain or anything like that. Well, they've been showed, like, a lot of the side effects of antipsychotics are increased weight gain. Oh, wouldn't that help? Let's throw on some olanzapine. Doesn't, <laughs> yeah. has, has been shown not to help. Yeah, I was doesn't say. cause weight gain in patients with anorexia. Wow. No? Even though intrinsically you give someone olanzapine, it's not that necessarily that they have an increased appetite. It, it works inside your body to make you gain weight, but it doesn't work for anorexic patients. There you go. Wow. It's fascinating. I think medications and therapy combined. It takes a whole army, right? You got to have that family support. You got to have a nutritionist on board. You have to have a medical expert on board because like we said, a lot of these patients can die from, you got to check their electrolytes, you got to replenish their vitamin D, their potassium, their phosphate. They're at risk for a lot of different medical complications. So you need a lot of medical experts and mostly you need, um, they need help. Yes, they do. So Armin, what types of sports are you more likely to have an eating disorder? Because there's three categories, right? There's three categories. That's right. So uh, one category are, are sports in which low body fat is advantageous, right? So having low body fat, being smaller, thinner. So it pays to be skinny. Right. Is going to help your performance, right? So that would be like cross country, for example. That's our guest today. That's right. That's right. Our very special guest. Um, swimming is another one. Okay. Right. Yeah. Aerodynamic through the water. Through the water. No doubt. And then here's this really crazy one, right? Male jockeys. Oh, but yeah. maybe not so crazy. Yeah. That horse isn't with some, yeah. you know, big, like, you know, pound dude Biggie there. Smalls type dude, yeah. like, you know, running up. Anyway, um, sports in which athletes are judged on aesthetics. That's big time. Big time. We right? hear about that a lot, like figure skating. Exactly. Nancy Kerrigan. Oh, yeah. Remember oh, her? She I opened do. up about her eating disorder. Yes, she did. She also got bashed in the leg. <laughs> That's right. By Tanya Harding's Tanya Harding. uh, paid someone to do it, uh, allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. What the? Do you, did you, you saw the movie? Yeah, Margot right? Robbie. So what did the oh, movie say? Shout out. Did did she? No, did, it, did she or didn't she? Oh, she, she did. See, I sure. thought I thought it was like she had him do it. it was she a, was kind of like her there. boyfriend's buddy. Yeah. It was like yeah. There's some has but some it was other like really clumsy. I don't know. Yeah. The execution worked, I guess. No doubt. Yeah. All right, so there's there's that. There's figure skating. There's also gymnastics, diving, synchronized swimming. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to yeah, keep buddy. it tight. I'm Lean. judging you. I'm giving you a the what, what was Lean. the Russian judge? What's the judge that always gives the shitty scores? Oh, Simon. Uh, no, Simon Russian. Cal. Are you talking about? <laughs> you say Russian? You're talking about American Idol? Yeah, I didn't even hear the first part. What did you say? I'm Which talking judge? about the like the Russian. It's always the Russian judge. Oh, in the, the Olympics, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. They do. They do. I, they I, have very high standards in Russia. The original clearly. American Idol was good, though. Simon Cowell. It Cow, was man. Out. He was awesome. What, he he the, carried that. What's show. the other guy? What's up, dog? My dog. 
Oh yeah, yeah. That was um, Randy. Randy Jackson. Randy Jackson. Yes. And Paula yeah. Abdul. Paula Abdul, man. She was she was actually a teen idol. Did you know that in the eighties? Nah, I didn't know. I was born in eighty seven. She was for real. That's yeah, what you grew up on. Um, sports in which there is a need to make weight. Right? Oh. Right. So eating disorder um, because you have to like. Just not eat for uh, days to, to cut weight, like in wrestling. Oh, we're talking about like, I, I remember a good buddy in high school always wear trash bags and sweatpants to school running yeah, around and sweating. I mean, right. It was crazy. Trying, trying to make 103 when he really weighed like 125. Right. You see that in UFC now, one of my favorite sports to watch. Or dudes are trying to go up in weight and they're just like crushing like spaghetti oh, yeah. noodle bowls well, we heard and that. vats of shout spaghetti to, noodles. Shout out to Archie Lewis, uh, our guest on our last podcast, offensive tackle, Boise State, yes, said he had to gain 60 yes, pounds. Did. 60 pounds. When he was in college. Yeah, he said he was just smashing like McDonald's before weighing. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, shakes. I get it. Burger yeah. King and All that right. Whopper. How, man, that's probably like one, one Whopper is like... It's like a thousand calories right there. Holy you get man. two of those in. Hardee's has those thick burgers. What dude. about the McRib though? Stop. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> <The McRib. laughs> All right. Um, making weight. So wrestling, boxing, I guess. Oh, would be. Yeah. 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 Right. For sure. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Eating disorders is crazy. But I get it. I get that, you know, sometimes it's about the will to win. There's a whole industry, but I want to jump in talking about UFC and boxing. There's a whole industry now, a days with nutritionists. You hire someone for your weight cut, mm -hmm. so people are going to these extremes. Back in the day, before they had USADA and the drug testing agencies, you, people were taking diuretics and different things to drop all that water weight. Um, but nowadays, they hire people and they pay them thousands and thousands of dollars to get that weight cut just right. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of these guys, if you pay attention to UFC, like Khabib Nurmagomedov. <laughs> He, uh, nice. he had to go to the hospital one of his fights against Tony Ferguson like three years ago. A lot of these guys, Max Holloway, it happened to last year. A lot of these guys had to go to the hospital. They said Max Holloway had a mini stroke during his weight cut. So this stuff's serious. Whoa. And it's prevalent not only in women but in men. Like we said earlier, women in sports, 20 to 60% have eating disorders. Men, 5 to 8%. It's real. Look, check out the studies. You can go to Norway. Right. Yeah, Norway's got a nice one. Nor Norwegian, man, lead athletes. They yeah. have a study with 1,700 people. They're all about it, man. I mean, the US, Europe in general is all about it. They got these sport performance. It's all oh. about sport. There's oh, never yeah. sports. Yeah. That's an American thing. We always have to be different. In you ever America. watch the Winter Olympics? You awesome got like sports. the Norwegians and people from the Netherlands. They go all out. But we, yeah, we get up in there on the world stage oh, in the Olympics and yeah. we dominate. We're all of the above. We, we do everything. USA, baby. No doubt. All right. Forever. So before we get into the interview, I wanted you to talk about the female athlete triad. Mm, that's a that's a great one, actually, um, because I think it's something that we all should be aware of. And it comes up in the it's podcast. A triad, and it's it's sort of, uh, well, I guess there's no real mnemonic for it, um, but it's three words, right? Everybody can remember we do three, Ofa. three words. Ofa. <laughs> <laughs> Ofa. <laughs> Sorry, okay. So, <laughs> Oaf, uh, yeah, I like that. Oaf, yeah. This is like the name of a cartoon giant. Yes, yes, that's right. Oaf. Oaf, Oaf the giant. Oaf the giant uh, is our mnemonic for female athlete triad. Uh, so, the O is for osteoporosis. Okay, most people know that as it relates to old women, right? Past. 
the age of menopause mm -hmm. that are usually kind of sedentary for a while. Um, the reason why, like, when old people fall down, they bust their hip a lot of times. Yeah. Because of osteoporosis. That's right. That's why. That's, so it's essentially uh, the organic matrix of the, the bone, you know, the long, the long bones in particular, um, becomes essentially fragmented because the estrogen is a, is a big part of, and, of the bone growth process for women. And you'll find out that this is relevant for cross-country runners because they will often get... They will often get stress fractures, exactly. And so that's how we're connecting these dots, stress fractures in young, healthy athletes versus osteoporosis in like 70-year-old women, mm -hmm. you know, they're probably kind of sedentary. And why is, why do you, why do these young, otherwise healthy female athletes get something like osteoporosis? Because they are not consuming the proper amount of nutrients, most importantly, vitamin D yeah. and Calci calcium. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, those things are essential for mineralization of bone. So we need all that stuff. It's all good stuff. Okay. And when we're restricting or purging, we're not getting it. Nah. Bottom line. And amenorrhea can set in because. What? Yeah. Amen who? Amenorrhea. What does that mean? Uh, I probably should have explained that. So that's when you, A stands for no or none or, you know, and menorrhea is in menses, as in like your period. So no okay. period. You lose oh, okay. your period. Right. Yeah. You lose Thanks, your, man. your menstrual cycle. You could also, okay. Or you can get oligomenorrhea. Yeah, where it's just sort of like intermittent. Irregular. Irregular. We like to use these fancy terms. I hate them. Yeah. We had to learn this shit. Can you imagine having learned this shit? For like two straight years before you could actually even touch a you patient. You can't just say no period, so. It was like torture. Anyway, all right. Uh, and then fatigue is the F. Yeah. So, oaf. Fatigue. And fatigue should be kind of obvious. And who wants fatigue as an athlete? Nobody. Who wants stress fractures? Who wants to not have periods? Well, some people might yeah. want to have no periods. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Um, but, unfortunately, yeah. yeah, there's, there's, yeah, never mind. Oh, as you the can tell. Female athlete. Triad. It's not healthy to to have the female athlete triad, and that's due to an eating disorder oftentimes, and that can be... So that's why it's this fine line between, oh, I'm losing weight, my times are getting better, oh, wait, I lost so much weight, now I have a stress fracture, I'm not having periods, and I'm fatigued, okay. and now my times are getting worse. And for those concerned about gender bias, the only reason why it's female athlete triad is because men can't have menses. That's it. That's the only reason. Curren Otherwise, Currently, you, but... You never know. In the future, things could change. Maybe by the time this podcast gets released, but we we won't get into that right now. Um, what about that interview? All right, well, let's do it. So today, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, because I think we have like people under eighteen watching us these days, or why do I say that? Listening to us, I think I want to be watched. I think I, I hope one day that we will be like we have like a live studio audience. I'm watching. I always feel like somebody's watching me. Okay. Put your hands down. Don't look at me. <laughs> All right. Janelle Alyssa Leah Ping. I had a blast, and I'm so thankful and fortunate that we were able to have this conversation. Do you hear yourself in the... 
<laughs> okay, cool. Awesome. It's very special having you here. I'm really, really happy to, to do this with you. Um, it's, so a, it's a special occasion. It's this a very, it's is, a this special is our occasion. first in-person interview. Yeah, it yeah. is. And uh, it happens to be with the love of my life. Oh Yeah, Janelle Leah Ping, who is coming to us here from um, New York City. Janelle uh, was born and raised in New York City, actually in Queens, and um, she uh, attended Loyola High School there in Queens, New York, where she is, or was, as of 2008, the school record holder in the 1500 meters. Oh, wow. That's big time. The 1600 meters and the 3200 meters. And the Wait. 4K and the 5K. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> so was yeah. that five? School oh records? man, something crazy. Yeah, she basically yeah. just dominated uh, that school and turns out the entire city of New York. So she won seventh place in the city competition, all city competition and then went on to uh, earn a scholarship to Northwestern University, where she ran. Big 10. That's right, cross country. Now Big 12, right? No, uh, it's still called the Big 10. Still called the Big 10. Still yeah. called the Big 10, okay. I'm also, I'm a, I'm a Big 10 guy. I'm he is, Hoosier. yeah. But uh, I wanna hear about how it was like growing up in New York City a little bit. The Big Apple. Imagine there's not a lot of open space to run. Yeah. Um, so there's not a whole ton of green space in Queens where I grew up. I grew up mainly playing soccer. There are actually quite a few soccer fields. I didn't start running till I started going to school in Manhattan. Um, and my high school was like two, three blocks from Central Park. Oh, um, awesome. Nice. Yeah. This is where I did most of my running in high school. Central Park is right. beautiful, especially in the summertime. That's wild. That's awesome. I, wow. I visited New York City and seen Central Park. It's so beautiful. I can't imagine going to school a couple blocks from there. Yeah, no. Yeah. Fall is actually probably my favorite season in the park. It's also the season of, of cross country. Yeah. And Central Park in the fall is just really beautiful. All the leaves. Nice. Color. Did you enjoy running then? Yeah, um, so I actually went to high school anticipating to play soccer, but they didn't let girls play varsity soccer no at that time. What's that about? Yeah. So, <laughs> what year was that? This was <laughs> 2005. Girls couldn't play varsity soccer? That's terrible. Yeah, um, I asked the coach why, um, Coach Tram, and it was a concern that we would get hurt, My um, goodness. which was very sexist. Wow! Um, and, and look at the, you know, look at what women's soccer is doing right now. They're out there killing it, in the international stage. So the only reason you didn't, you didn't play soccer is because you, you couldn't have. You didn't have a team. Yeah, um, I couldn't play soccer. So the cross country coach, Coach Donacek, is probably one of the most important people in my life. He approached me just to see if I was interested in running cross country and I was like, I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just, we would meet every day after school and run in the park and then, you know, a couple That's races awesome. here and there, so. Were you kind of naturally gifted at running or did it, you just kind of have to work really hard and, and you know, just kind of get better and better or what was, what was it like for you? 
I was not naturally gifted. Okay. Um, my first year, my freshman year, actually was like not, I was not very good. I wasn't the top person on the team. It wasn't really until my sophomore year when I started t- taking running more seriously. And then all of a sudden my times just kind of dropped um, <laughs> Which is a good thing. In my <laughs> so, your, your sophomore year was probably only your second year ever running, though? Yeah, my second team? year okay. running on any team. Nice. Um, yeah. So picked it up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Wow. So With, maybe, maybe there was a little talent there. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah. Of course. Like, yeah. Hidden gem, for sure. So, like, was there, like, a, um, a point during practice like a practice run or like was it during an actual competition when you realized, look, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm just as good as everybody else out here. I want to say it was during a race because our practices were very, they were very friendly. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't do a ton of speed work. And when we did, everyone was kind of just like together, mm-hmm. but it was a meet my sophomore year when I just it did really, really well. I think it was actually when I set my first school record. And then it was just kind of like, oh, I'm good at this. Wow. I'm, yeah, um, I'm going to keep Just going. out of nowhere? I guess like sophomore year, I'd been taking running more seriously. Mm-hmm. I also lost a significant amount of weight, mm-hmm. but I can talk about that later. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that that was also part of my... I think why I was doing a little bit better. No, I it, yeah. I get it. I get it. So one year into running and you're yeah. already breaking records. That's yeah. crazy. I mean, and I'm assuming that there was already kind of an established pecking order in terms of like who was good in your freshman year. So you knew, you know, where you had to go to, right? Yeah. In terms of the competition to be the best. Were those girls and guys, you know, did you notice that they had a you know, different body type, different body shape? So the best girl on the team at the time was my, she was actually my best friend. Her name is Katie. Okay. And yeah, she had a, she was tall, maybe like five, seven, just like naturally very slender. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're around about, would you say five? I'm five, one and three quarters technically. Okay. round up to five, two. My player <laughs> card says five, two. Got it. So she's much taller. Yeah, she's yeah. much taller. Well, I'd say New York City League was different. It just was like people weren't taking it as seriously. Anyone could run cross country. But like mm-hmm. definitely at the college level, people had more slender body types. Okay. Sure. Got it. I remember that I think all the cross country kids in my high school and then even in college, everyone's like seems to be kind of the same body type. Usually mm-hmm. taller than average, but really slender for sure. Yeah. So sophomore year, lose a little bit of weight, you start getting really good. You know, was there kind of a correlation that you noticed between losing the weight and getting faster times uh, in practice and then you know, into the competitions? Yeah, I'd say there was a correlation. I want to say it was, my, it was after my freshman year, I did a cross-country camp. Mm-hmm. And they really went in detail, like about diet, and we talked about. This is college. No, this, this is high was school. High school. Wow. So like fourteen years old. Wow. Yeah. That's that's actually um, cool. I didn't. Yeah, cool. it was Princeton cross country camp, and I kind of watched 
what the other girls did. Mm-hmm. You know, we ate meals together. We did everything together. We were just like all together during that like week time span. But mm-hmm. I knew people were taking like nutrition like completely differently than me. I already kind of saw it at the end of my freshman year, mm-hmm. like that I needed to start doing things differently eating wise. Yeah. But that just kind of took it to a whole different level for me. Wow. That's so would you say like what you learned during that camp was like healthy eating habits or? So, I mean, they were healthy eating habits, but it was like with a grain of salt. So mm-hmm. it was like, okay, you should be eating. It probably as like came up to about like 1600 to 1800 calories worth of food per okay. day. Yeah. And that's like, you know, about that's. I would say one meal at McDonald's. <laughs> it's one meal at McDonald's, but I think for a person average weight, I mean that's not bad. That's you know probably about on average. You know they say what you need about eighteen hundred to two thousand calories. I mean, that's no. that's when you're in high school and you're probably growing a lot. Yeah, but then you're right. I mean, if you're an athlete though, you True. know you're running a lot. You, you probably think need, need a, more calories. You probably right? need more than that. Yeah, I'd say sixteen, eighteen hundred. I mean, that's probably good for you know someone that's mostly sedentary like what were the strategies about was it more so about fuel and recovery or was it more so about keeping a good weight it was about keeping a good weight um i mean when i say a grain of salt we talked pretty candidly with the so our coaches were um girls on the cross country team at princeton And they kind of said, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But some of them, they had their own eating disorders, but they kind of describe it as like a golden period where basically if you're like cutting weight, if you're only eating like, you know, a thousand calories a day, but like running 50 miles a week or no, not, not in high school, more like 40, 35, 40, that you would start to see like an improvement in your times, but it's only a matter of time until things start going sour for wow. you. Like in terms of stress fractures or just general, like your times are not going to be as good. They, they just were talking yeah, pretty candidly about that. Yeah, definitely a balancing act okay. there, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So you're getting a, a, a pretty good introduction on what the life is of a cross-country runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, first year. I definitely thought this is what I need to do to be successful. I definitely felt like I needed to lose a significant amount of weight. And then my sophomore year, as it approached track season um, in the springtime, I was like, you know, this is going really well for me. I just continued to eat less and less over time. And your times were getting better? And my times were getting better, yeah. I was doing well in workouts. I mean, this is positively reinforcing in mm-hmm. many ways. Yeah. It's, I mean, the process. And, I mean, you're also, you know, I mean, you're a young lady, you know, entering high school. You're starting to, you know, kind of come into your own. And you have a nice figure, right? So, I mean, you know, it's, I could see how it could be like something you, you'd want to continue doing totally. And if you're seeing the success in the field, I'm assuming... Uh, or the course, they call it the course, (laughs) (laughs) then, you know, I'm assuming the coaches are raving about you and the other players or your teammates are giving you the 
pat on the back, you know, the attaboy. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it was actually really special because Coach Donacek would always do a write-up every time we had a meet. And mm-hmm. yeah. he'd be like, Janelle the gazelle, like, set another school record. <laughs> and it would just be very... Love it. it. would be in the school announcements, so everyone would be That's hearing cool. this. Um, <laughs> Janelle the gazelle set another school record. Wow. So. I like that nickname. Yeah. yeah <laughs> did that carry on into college? Um, no, it did not carry on to college, but if you look in my high school yearbooks... Um, captioned everywhere nice, nice. Gazelle was my nickname. so Janelle the gazelle ended up doing so well that she earned an athletic scholarship to Northwestern University how was that process like like when you started getting recruited um it was weird it was flattering but it was a goal of mine definitely especially after my junior year when I think I did the best cross-country wise. That's actually when I placed seventh mm-hmm. in the city. Manhattan, is that a big city? So, <laughs> oh, no, no. Um, so it was Manhattan, Queens, the Bronx. Um, so, so like the, like, yeah. the so Big Apple. The big so Apple. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, ginormous, the probably city, the biggest yeah. city in the, the entire country. Yeah, no doubt. That's, so that's that's big time for sure. I mean, it's bigger than like some states, right? I mean, oh, people-wise. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, it's impressive. It's very impressive. Um, yeah, I mean, Northwestern thought so. So I started getting letters in the mail and letters that would go to our head athletic director, Coach A. And, you know, I remember talking to some of the Claremont colleges yeah, um, those yeah. beautiful green pasture liberal arts colleges in kind of east of L.A. And I remember the coach being like really eager, but like, you know, D3, no money. That's so right. um, that was something I I wasn't totally interested in. But um, backup plan. Yeah, <laughs> I actually decided on Northwestern because my top competitor in my league, my small league, the Girls Independent School Athletic League. She actually ended up running at Northwestern. And um, I asked her where she was going to school. She was someone I really idolized. Her name was Natasha. And I was just like, wow, this girl's so fast. Mm -hmm. You know, how is she so fast? And, you know, she was really, she's really tiny, you know, maybe like, Five five, so tiny, like hundred pounds. She wow. was very tiny. That's tiny. I kind of, I wanted to be like her. I almost started running like her. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean like form? <laughs> form wise, yeah. She kind of did these. Um, we call them dinosaur hands mm-hmm. when she was running. Oh, um, I think of T Rex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a T Rex, exactly. You wanted to mimic the T Rex run? Yeah, I mean, it was like <laughs> if it works for her, okay. you know. Um, but you know, I would see her running in the park cause her school was on the other side of central well, park. Well, you know, actually, since we're talking about this, I have a question. So how does someone who you said you're around about five, one and three quarters, right? Mm-hmm. How does someone five, one and three quarters outrun someone who's like five, seven, you said that was like yeah. one of your competitors, right? Long distance too. Where, where yeah. The stride. Yeah. I mean, how so, does that work? You know, I'd say there are two types of cross-country runners. There are the tall, more like the, 
I'd say tall, just like over five five in the cross okay. country. Yeah. Like you're um, on the taller side and you're kind of lanky or you're a flyer, which means you're short like me and you're just like kind of waif like, you know, you're very tiny. Um, and so they actually have classifications, like different classifications for runners and running style. That's yeah. Okay. My coach actually referred to me as a flyer. Okay. And that was kind of when I, I first started learning about the different types of cross country runners and so how did Northwestern treat you? Did you, did you feel like good camaraderie with, with that group? Oh, those girls are like my sisters. Okay. Yeah. But that was part of our coach's style. I mean, I think at one time she referred to us as a cult. Um, <laughs> but that she kind of liked it like that. You know, like we live together, we eat together, we run together, we do literally everything together. They were my whole life for awesome. four years. So, so did that make the transition from New York City to Chicago easier, knowing that like you had a built-in support system right when you got there? Yeah. I mean, it definitely felt like family because you have this kind of bonding experience um, at preseason in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Oh. And it was very remote and everyone was very miserable. And, you know, you're just kind of... Sounds like boot camp. It was boot camp. It was <laughs> it was April's boot camp. Basic um, training. And she actually had us running up these sand dunes, like in line fashion, so that if you were like slowing down the person behind you, you felt like um, oh yeah, okay, more compelled to, that, to run oh, faster. I feel like that's something that I did when I was in cadet basic training at the really? academy. That's that's wild. It's a great. Team. Where's your, your coach? Was she, uh, did she have any like military background or? You know, I want to say that her, her dad was in the military oh, or someone in her okay. family. So she was a military brat. Okay. So, okay. She definitely had a very military like style to our training. Like if one person was late, everyone had to show up an hour early, mm-hmm. like the next day. And building that teamwork. Uh, yeah. Know, if Accountability. Five minutes early, you're late. You know, she was that kind of person. So I've always wondered: is so cross country? Is that is it an individual sport or is it a team sport? You know, we kind of go back and forth on this a lot. I feel like it's very much so a team sport. I feel like track is definitely more individual. Yeah. Oh, that's um, interesting. See, I would. I, I, yeah. Wow. I mean, not in terms of the relays, but. Sure in terms of like the individual races. I say cross country is more team-like because, you know, we run in packs. That's the, that's the strong way to run. You know, you see a strong team when you see packs of girls together. Our coach would be like, you know, go get that Ohio pack or like, you know, go get that Wisconsin pack. That's cool. You You were the wildcat pack. Yeah. You know, it kind of almost sounds like, like birds in migration, you know, just like how they kind of feed off each other, a flock of birds. Yeah. They kind of feed off each other's energy, right? We kind of run like that too. Do you have like someone that's in the front that blocks the wind? Well, yeah. Um, Rotate. Especially with track. Um, cross country is a little bit different because it's like you don't know what kind of terrain you're running on um, or if you're going to be like in the woods kind of shielded from the wind but um, you kind of take turns leading like setting the pace because that in itself takes a certain amount of attention and diligence and it kind of it's like a little bit easier if you're just following someone you know Mm. 
you're not the one setting the pace okay. or taking the lead. So like in like the marathons, you know how you always see like a guy kind of right behind, like trailing the guy who's in front. Yep. You know, well, they had that. They but right had before they, he, he runs, he walks him down, mm-hmm. right before he walks him down. Yeah. They had that one guy that broke broke the uh, marathon record, yes. and he had what do you have like twenty seven people help him, like set the pace for him. Yeah. So this is amazing. Yeah, I you know I, I didn't even really appreciate the dynamics of, of like cross country running, yeah. team running. I always assumed it was an individual sport, but it sounds much more like a team sport for sure. Yeah, I mean there were definitely times where we'd be running in a pack, and like someone starts the trail off, and they're like, "No, get over here," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and you know, because we had to run in formation, right? And that, that was what I always ran with, you know, my, my group, my unit in basic training and, and freshman year of the academy. And I remember that being like a, a huge like teamwork thing that we did in the military because like ultimately, you know, you want the people, you want everybody to get through, right? That was always like a big thing that, that resonated for me in basic training is like, Everybody's got to get through. Everybody's got to reach the, the goal, you know, the finish line. So when you run in a pack, when you run in a formation, you know, you can kind of reconfigure things so that ultimately everybody makes it through together. That's really cool. Yeah, it would be like that for at least the first, if we're running a 5K, you know, maybe like the first 3K, mm-hmm. 3.5K, and then... You know, if you're having a good day, you go for it. You know, that's kind of what April will tell us. Because at that point, if you only have like, you know, a K left, that's like, you know, it's a thousand meters. It's not that much. That's you know? right. Okay. Yeah. If so you're a good. kicker, you you kick, you go. What's a kicker? Someone with a strong finishing yes. kick? Yes, yeah. Ah, Someone with nice. a strong finishing kick. Or you a closer. So you were a flyer. Were you also a kicker? I was also a kicker. Oh. Killer instinct. <laughs> that's that competitive greatness. That's cool. That's a cross country closer. As yep. a kicker. That's, that's awesome. That's that's the clutch gene. All right. So, how was that first year? It sounds like you fit in pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it was a very transformative year. It was definitely a difficult one. I mean, we would wake up at like six a.m. for practice, and we practice every day, except for Saturday. Or depending on which day we had to meet, we'd have one day off. So that was a big transition from high school. Mind you, you're at Northwestern, which is one of the best academic institutes <laughs> in the country. Absolutely. Probably the best one in the Big Absolutely Ten. Absolutely, it is. A lot yes. better than Indiana University. <laughs> I mean, we had a lot of. It's not hard to be help. better academically than. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. We had a lot of help with like academic advising. I had tutors. They had special classes just for athletes to get like extra help. Okay. So you had a stuff. lot of academic support. Yes. During that introduction, that first year, do you get a lot of obviously physical therapy, different, I'm sure a lot of support when it comes to your body and lifestyle coaching, so, any wellness, mental health introductory like lectures or anything? Definitely no mental health lectures. Um, <laughs> but I forgot to mention my first year I also was injured midway Mm. through the first season I had a stress fracture which you know I had kind of gotten like a stress reaction earlier that year in my senior year of high school in my foot and you know I just 
I wasn't taking care of myself nutrition-wise. Um, I wasn't taking a multivitamin. I wasn't eating right. In fact, I was, you know, actively purging and cutting calories. And, um, yeah, so my, I had a stress fracture. Um, Did you know when you had that stress fracture what most likely contributed to it? I mean, yeah. It, it's not hard to see when, especially when you see other girls who are doing the same thing, mm -hmm. start to get stress fractures and you see them walking with a boot and you're just kind of like, oh, you know. Got it. So that's like the norm. Yeah. Um, I'd say in my team, there were maybe like 30 of us, probably be like, at one time I think we had like five people out with stress fractures. Was there a, a, a part of the body that, you know, it, it typically affected the particular bone or that it affected um, the most? Funny enough, a lot of the taller girls had femur stress fractures. Got it, yeah. And the girls yeah. my height had tibia fractures. I don't know if it had something to do with our particular running style, but that was kind of um, not the norm, but, you know, you'd see people in like a boot versus like if it's like a femur stress fracture, they're on crutches wow. or we had a couple girls with the sacrum stress fracture. Um, that's serious stuff. That's, yeah. that's fascinating. So when did these, these mentioned purging, when did that behavior start? So I, I believe it started um, my sophomore year after my sophomore. I had started um, like seriously cutting calories. Like I was doing like a two, four, eight diet. It's like a 200 calories one day, then 400, then 600, then 800, then you start over at 200. And so I had dropped to like 86 pounds and that just was not sustainable. And um, I started feeling pressure around people to eat. And that's when I started purging. I would eat with people, but then I would purge it. When you say you, had, you, you felt pressure, how, how did you feel that? Where, where did that come from? Like people started to notice? Oh, yeah. Um, people started to notice that, well, I had lost, I was maybe 100 and six pounds when I first started high school. Then I mm. dropped down to maybe like 103 and then 100 pounds. And then it was a very short period of time where it went from 100 pounds to 86 pounds. Mm -hmm. So that was a significant drop. Was that intentional or was it sort of like just something that maybe like a uh, plan that kind of went awry? sort of thing no it was intentional okay um, now so would you say that there was an expectation that one would need to cut that kind of weight to to be good for this team or was it more just like a kind of a self-induced pressure it started that way it started as just like you know i'm just gonna like lose a little bit more weight and, you know, then my time started to be a lot better. And then okay. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to lose a little bit more weight. And then I started going on these, like, thins, they call them thinspo, thinspiration websites. 
and they they would give people tips on like how to avert people's suspicions you know when you're eating okay. you know yeah. take very small bites drink a lot of water in between um probably written by people with eating disorders yes i mean it's like yeah a, so you, but yeah. your motivation was strictly performance related you you noticed that your times were getting better yeah. when you yes. were losing the weight i noticed my times were getting better and then going into my junior year i started having a lot of success and then you started getting college attention, so it continues to kind of get reinforced. Definitely. I noticed my times really drop. Um, this when I set a lot of my school records, and then I reset them, you know, because my times were getting faster. Wow. Um, like, I broke my own school record. That was, like, a thing people would say. Steph Curry style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's awesome. So, did you, so your performance is getting better. At what point... Did you notice, like, this is kind of dangerous? I've lost a lot. Were you concerned at all about the amount of weight? Was anyone concerned? Um, a lot of people were concerned. Um, first, it was my parents. And then my mom would kind of sit down with me when I ate and be like, no, you need to finish it. So the purging started, but I would only do it at home. So when I was at school... I stuck to like mainly two things. It was, you know, salad with chicken and a cup of special K with a Yoplait light. That was like really what I ate all day. And that would be like my main calorie source. Um, and then I would have to eat dinner at home and then I would just, you know, binge and then purge. And as far as your your teammates, was it ever like something that people talked about? Um, actually, one of my good friends on the team, Lauren, she kind of pulled me aside in the locker room. I don't think we had practiced that day or anything, but she was just like, you know, you're too thin. You know, you don't look okay. And I took a lot of offense to that. I didn't think that I look too thin. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just this kind of distortion now that I realize is a distortion, but I thought I looked perfectly normal, like even like a little fat in some areas, you know? And so it would just kind of was a little bit off-putting when people would talk about it. I just would kind of try to avoid all conversation about it. And it's easy to brush off because it's not like you're not getting results. Right. And I was running all the time. So people yeah. were just like, oh, you know, you're just running a lot. Maybe you should eat a little bit more. I mean, you're the gazelle. Yeah. Gotta, you got you to come through. It sounds like you, you've kind of looked back and done some thinking about this. Do you, do you think at that time that you, you had an eating disorder? Um, I do think about it. I think about it now, especially when I, I watch girls in high school, like whether it's like the championships or like even like the big 10, you know, cross country races. And you kind of see people really, it's don't look well. And, you know, there was actually a girl, I think she went to UPenn. She was on the cross country team there and she ended up committing suicide. She had struggled with an eating disorder for a really long time. And I remember reading parts of her story and being like, wow, you know, that could have, you know, easily been me. Um, yeah. Did you feel like in, you know, high school, I know that 
you know, most high schools don't really have a lot of great resources for like, you know, a bunch of mental health professionals to be on staff and things like like that. Um, but I would imagine a, a huge Big Ten program, you know, like Northwestern University would would have support for athletes that have mental health related issues or um, I mean, especially if it comes to like, you know, nutrition and diet and all that. I mean, did you feel like you had that type of like support if you needed, you know, help with figuring out the diet? And so we had a nutritionist. Her name was Deb. That's good. But again, it's always with a grain of salt. So it's like, okay, this is what Deb says. What does April actually think? So I wasn't the only one who went in to see Deb. I mean, she would give us tips on like protein and like what to do post-workout, like post-workout meals or pre-workout meals. But in terms of like how many calories you should be eating, she wasn't, that wasn't really something she was pushing on people um, unless they were like, they had like a known eating disorder. There were a couple of girls on the team who were like, they were dangerously thin. Like the medical staff stopped her from running. Um, okay. So they have a pretty high threshold when it comes to, it sounds like, well, it sounds, it sounds like they, there's almost like this dirty little secret in cross country where they know that they're kind of teetering the line of, of kind of healthy eating habits and, but they don't like intervene unless it's like you said, dangerously low. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the game. It's like, how do you teeter? How low do you go? Yeah. That's (laughs) with the weight. You and know, frankly, with, but with the time, you know, because it's just like crazy, yeah. interesting correlation between like the drop in weight, the drop in time. It's, when you're getting to the point where there's several runners on the squad that are getting stress fractures, it's, that's fascinating to me. Um, so you're seeing good results with limiting your intake. It seems like some people around you were, were aware that you're, you lost a lot of weight. When you transitioned into college, were you able to kind of maintain in a certain way? Did things get better, get worse? So I didn't stop counting calories, but I stopped purging and I stopped binging. So whatever I was eating, obviously like obsessively count calories because that just was, you know, but that was something that we all did. That was something that we had in common. It's, you know, everything was low fat, low carb. It was like, buy the low fat peanut butter, buy this, like our, we lived in a house together, you know, we bought slimmer types of food Mm -hmm. and we ate meals together. It was just kind of like, I felt, I didn't feel pressured not to eat that much because not everyone was not eating that much. And you just never question, you know, if someone was only eating salad, that was just like, that's what she's doing. It's not like, oh, maybe you want to eat a little bit more. That's not something we ever talked about. Yeah, so it's, it's, what you guys are doing is it's helpful for your performance, but it's almost like you're, you're, everyone's playing with fire. Eventually someone's going to get burnt. And it's kind of, we, we just had a last podcast, we talked with an offensive tackle who he had to gain 60 pounds yeah, to, to fit crazy. in at Boise State. So it's almost, so there are these regimented kind of eating habits and nutrition things you have to do when you play at a high level of the sport but it's just it's tough because you're walking that fine line mm-hmm. yeah did, did, you, did you ever come across a situation where maybe someone wasn't making or someone wasn't low enough in weight 
and maybe they were made to feel bad for that? You know, I heard things around, you know, so these were rumors, so, but there was one girl on the team, she was, you know, maybe five, seven, but she ate, you know, she was really healthy. She, she was from Germany. She didn't, I guess, she just had a different value system, period. Mm -hmm. But she was, you know, she could be a little bit on the heavier side, but she was, she was really strong. She was really muscular. But at one point, our coach, I think, alluded that she would be better if she lost a little bit of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, she was really, really fast. She was really good. But it was like you could be almost better if if you cut maybe like 10 pounds. Yeah. So it's a tough spot because if, if you told like a football player that or a basketball player that, or a male athlete that no one's really going to blink an eye, but then you hear someone telling a female athlete that some people would kind of yeah. kind of wince. But you can see how, like you said before, losing weight for the most part can be helpful for your well, performance. Well, well, let's see. So she was you said about five seven, mm-hmm. and she weighed about what did you say? Maybe like mid one twenties. Yeah, I mean, see, that's that's like better than normal that's like almost like ideal in like the real world you know Mm -hmm. but like you know in i guess in that world it's you know that's why being an athlete it's just almost like a totally different arena than being a normal person where there's different criteria almost yeah wow but it didn't hold you back academically you were a big 10 distinguished scholar your senior year, as well as an academic All-Big Ten. So I guess you didn't necessarily leave everything on the, on the field or the course <laughs> or the course. <laughs> um, no, that's amazing. And you ran, you ran all four years? I did. Okay. And so you also did an AmeriCorps teaching fellowship, and that was the launch pad into UCLA Law. So that obviously you you had your your challenges in college, but man, you um, well. So it sounds like the, for the most part, the challenges were in high school and college. You, it seemed to go better. Yeah, I mean, I definitely developed healthier eating habits as time went on. I was still very small. I was maybe I want to say because we got weighed once a year and then periodically weigh myself in between. But I remained about 102 pounds um, my entire time there. But when I look back at photos of myself, it's almost like a little bit alarming how, how skinny I was and how I did never perceived it that way. Like I never perceived myself like, oh gosh, I look really, I can see all my bones, you know. Um, I never kind of saw it that way. Yeah. Uh, it was normalized, most likely, being mm-hmm. in that environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know if we want to necessarily call it an eating disorder, but part of an eating disorder is not having that awareness, not seeing what everyone else sees, mm-hmm. yeah. thinking that the body weight is, is just fine. But obviously, if you're in that competitive, you're on a cross-country team, you're, you're just doing the same behaviors your, whole, your teammates are, the coaches aren't batting an eye. Like you said, just unless it gets to a certain 
point and then you, you said that sometimes they would step in and prevent other people from yeah running. but it was it would always be the call of like our, our medical trainer okay but you know if our coach were to have her way she would be running mm-hmm. yeah it's just that fine line between you know keeping the right way not getting injured mm-hmm. you know the stress fractures and all that and and of course, I, you know, it's yeah. great. It's fortunate for, I guess, kind of fortunate with regards to eating disorders. You do have a medical professional can always step in. Something like depression, anxiety. If there's no mental health expert to step in, then that's not going to be, no one's going to intervene. But I think even sooner than a medical expert would step in, if, they, if you guys had like a wellness expert or, mm-hmm. or a mental health expert, maybe that there could have been earlier points of entry for certain individuals to get better help and stay running on the team? So there was a sports psychologist that they sent some people to, but it would always be from a, how can I do better? It's all performance related. Yeah. It was performance related. It's like, how can I do better, you know, in competition? So what would that conversation look like with a cross country runner? Like getting in the zone? (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah. Oh, I imagine for cross country more than almost any other sport, you're, you're in your head the whole time just running. Definitely. Sports psychology would yeah. be great for that. Um, well, you know, um, it's actually my good friend, Allie, mm-hmm. who I know Armin has met. Yeah. Um, she went to go see a sports psychologist um, because she, she kind of had, you know, this, it was almost like a choking effect. You know, she was doing really well her freshman year and midway through the season, she st- she almost like had like panic attacks, like as she was running and she would kind of just really start to slow down like significantly. What, now was she like, were there high expectations for her coming into yes. Northwestern from high school? Yeah. So actually before, um, so our top person on the team Audrey, she actually had heart surgery before wow. starting. So, or not heart surgery, she had a heart procedure. Well, that's so nonetheless, that's yeah, intense for a runner. Yeah. Need your heart to be healthy. Yeah. So before Audrey joined the team, like officially for races, Allie was the top runner on her team. Allie, I mean, I, I've only talked to her about this like a couple times, but it was almost like a, you know, you kind of start panicking because you know if you're like, like you know by like the 1K how this race is gonna go for you. And you know, by the 2K and the 3K, if you're not hitting your times and people are passing you, it makes, like you almost feel like more anxious. Yeah, I know Um, that feeling well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, it almost kind of be like a choking effect. She would start like breathing really heavily and like leaning back and... Um, yeah, those panic symptoms can definitely, they can throw you off if you're just sitting there. I can't imagine starting to have like maybe palpitations in your chest, affects yeah, your breathing yeah, while you're no, running. Wow. Tense, tense up, sweaty. Did, would she finish the race? Yeah. Or no, so? Allie's a champ. Okay. Allie's, no, she's she's a Resilient. real MVP. So, this is a, in, so 5K and... What's like a decent, a reasonable, I guess, time at the D1 level, Big Ten, cross-country 5K? On the track or cross-country? I would say cross-country. So like you guys run on the golf course? 
some golf courses, some like like they're cross country made like paths. They're like almost like cut out in the woods. Like path. Okay, like a trail. Yeah. Almost. Trail. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So let's say on a typical trail. Mm-hmm. You know, probably around like eighteen minutes. And what was your personal record? For cross country, you actually have to look that up. I don't remember. It's on my bio. Janelle's career best time was 18 minutes, 16.7 seconds. Uh, And she actually finished ninth overall in the Northern Illinois Open. And this is back in 2012 or senior season. What length of race? This was a 5K. Nice. This is a 5K. Yeah. And that season, she actually posted a 5K time of 18 minutes, 40 seconds, uh, 18 minutes, 38 seconds, and then later on that season went on to, to her career best of 18 minutes and 16 seconds, 16 did, points. Did you have any specific strategies that you did like to get so yourself in the zone? On the bus on the way there, our coach, she would kind of tell everyone to like, you know, take their headphones out and, you know, if you're doing homework, you know, put it away. And she would be like, I just want you to visualize the race. I want you to visualize the course. And, you know, if you had been there before, which some courses we ran, you know, more than once, visualize yourself hitting your times, visualize yourself at the start line. And we would always do a dawn patrol, um, which is you get up probably like, you know, like five o'clock in the morning and you just like run to shake out your legs, you know, and you do like a couple miles. And, you know, that's when you kind of really start trying to get in the zone. At least that's when I start trying to get in the zone. It's a race day. You know, you want to kind of like, it would help me get out some of my race day jitters, you know. And I could also spend my time during that run thinking about hitting my times, my stride, crossing the finish line. So visualization, that's huge. That's all. So do you remember what you did for your personal record day? So that season was actually a really difficult one for me. I had a lot of gastrointestinal issues and I I had this like mysterious pain that would develop after maybe a K or 2K. And I've talked to Armin about this several times and he thinks that it's anxiety. It was anxiety induced. Um, What do you think? I think it was anxiety induced. Now, at the time, um, I didn't know what was wrong, but they, I, I did two colonoscopies and three endoscopies during my time there, and no one could figure out, you know, why I would have this like debilitating yeah. pain. And one thing that was fascinating about it, I mean, it was exercise induced, you know. Um, so it I mean, sounds so severe, severe yeah, pain. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was legit. I mean, you know, you, you think ischemic, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, you think a lot of different things as a, as a medical professional, when someone comes to you with abdominal pain, you know, particularly exertional abdominal pain. So, yeah, I think it makes sense why they really worked hard to try to investigate it. Um, would it you know. usually occur only in like big races or was it occurring like during practice? It was occurring during practice, but races, it would be probably the worst. It would, it was such a sharp pain that 
it almost, it felt better to just hold it and not breathe while I was running. And so that was actually what I did during that race. That you set um, your, your PR? Yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, I was pinching the area. I can still feel it like where it was. So it's different um, than like a stitch or a cramp that no, I would get if I ran about 400 meters right now. <laughs> and like I, I had gotten stitches before yeah. and, you know, very quickly I told, you know, my trainer, this is not that. This is something else. I don't know what it is, but it was so bad that I was like hunched over like at the end because it hurt to sit, like stand upright. Oh. But despite that, you were able to run through it for, you said, for about 4K of the race and get your personal record? <laughs> yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. Man, that's amazing. After you finished your running career, have you had that pain since? You know, I have still. I think the last time I felt it running, though, was actually 1L year. But actually... Since um, first, so year I, lo- first year, of law first year of law school, law student. First year of law school. You're done um, with law school, right? Hmm? Are you done with law school? Yeah, I'm done. I just graduated. Oh, um, congratulations! May. Thank you very big much. Big law. She's on the big law circuit now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but actually, since I started taking medication for anxiety, I haven't had that issue but i also don't run as much so i don't know going back to that race like that must have been like a a triumphant moment for you i mean if you think about it here you are you know like in what what sounds like the worst pain of your life i mean i don't know it just kind of sounds like you know i mean this is what 14 15 minutes worth of agony but then at the end, you realize at some point that, you know, this is the best you've ever run. What was that like? I mean, I was physically fit to run faster. So it was still disappointing um, because... Spoken like a true runner, <laughs> no doubt. No, but I, I knew that I could break 18 minutes. I, I knew that and I wanted to and it just it didn't work out for me. Spoken um, like a true kicker. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I got you. Did you learn anything from that experience that kind of helped you along the way since then? Um, I mean, I can really get through anything. I mm. mean, that's probably what it taught me the most. I mean, I, I felt like I, I learned that lesson. It was actually, it was during that year during that season, I had just prepped for my last colonoscopy. And, you know, I hadn't, you know, you can't eat or drink anything for like 24 hours. Well, you can like drink water and like, you know, little things here and there. (laughs) But, you know, I hadn't really eaten much of anything the day before. And I woke up at six o'clock that morning on the day of my colonoscopy to do mile repeats with my coach in the dark in the middle of (laughs) Evanston. It's intense. And, you know, I was running like, you know, like five minute miles. Hold on. What time of year are we talking? Fall. This would have been late fall. So it wasn't too cold yet? No, not too cold. (laughs) Okay. You know, Chicago gets crazy. It's probably still dark dark at the time. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I did three miles, you know, around five minutes. 
on like zero gas. And so, you know, I just kind of, I can five get minute anyway. miles. Five minute miles? That's intense. You wow. got that you got fighting spirit right here. <laughs> yeah. So this, this was like your junior, senior, or close to the end? This was my senior year. Senior year. Mm-hmm. Man, quite the journey. Yeah. So and then like you were saying earlier, you end up going into law school at UCLA. Yeah. That must have been tough too, but probably probably a piece of cake compared to what you already <laughs> accomplished. That's right. Chief Managing Editor of the UCLA Law Review. Yes. <laughs> um, I like to brag on her. I love yeah. to brag on her. I like it. I like it. This is fascinating, you know, for us. And it's really cool to talk about a sport. We, we're, you know, we talk about all these like hyper masculine sports all the time, you know, uh, like the, you know, football, basketball, baseball, et cetera. And, um, it's great to, to kind of get a flavor of, you know, kind of a, a different, different type of sport. I mean, I don't, I don't know about hyper, hyper masculine, what that necessarily means, but it sounds like cross countries, you got to be tough as nails to do that with all the, <laughs> the that, that lifestyle, man, that, that seems extremely difficult because you have to be dedicated. It sounds like not only on the, on the, on the what, course, the course, on, yeah. not only on the course, but. In the cafeteria, you gotta get, I'm sure you have to get good sleep, do all that. Yeah. I mean, we tracked, we had a sleep tracker, which we had to fill out like every Friday. Oh. And, you know, it was, everything was very regimented. But it's not that much different than like, you know, gymnastics or, you know, competitive ballet. Um, the way those girls kind of live life, you know, everything's very by the book and you know you're not stuffing your face at the dining hall on the cookie bar and you're not you know you're not doing those things it takes a lot of discipline i don't think it takes that much discipline to play football or (laughs) or baseball or basketball definitely not basketball yeah would you say that running was fun or what, what was like the most fun aspect of cross country or track honestly just the days that we would have easy runs, just running and hanging out with my friends. Like, honestly, like, like we still go on runs now on reunions and it's just like, (laughs) you know, I saw the pictures. Yeah, Just like run and, you know, shoot the shit. And, you know, I remember this one time, um, we were like quizzing each other. Like we would be running and like quizzing each other on things. Like if we had like a test and like, like you know, was, math problems and not math problems, but <laughs> like, you know, like it was like earth science like, or uh, something. Was like, <laughs> that's next level. I would like have a beer with my buddies while we, I would study Italian, but yeah, <laughs> not a lot of discipline here. Yeah, no, I, that's great. Yeah, me, I, I, I love interviewing college athletes because that level of discipline and Armin, you could speak to this because you were in the military. I don't, I mean. It doesn't sound like medical school com- really compares to what it, be, it is like to be a college athlete because you're balancing a lot, especially at a school like Northwestern. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you were uh, a, a athlete and a scholar, or scholar athlete. Um, how did you balance the two? You know, for all the, <laughs> Running the, the little studying. girls out there that may want to aspire to become or a boys. D1 athlete. You or know, boys, I don't want to be, you know, gender biased. <laughs> but no, but you know, that, that 
but want to they so they want to be an athlete, but they also want to take school seriously too and do really well in school. It's hard to balance that. So Wait, was law school always in the picture? Does that no, okay. no, not at all. Um, actually, in my freshman year, I didn't. I wasn't really taking school very seriously, and then it just kind of clicked after that econ class. Like, oh no, I need to take this seriously. Econ, Uh-oh. yeah. <laughs> what happened with econ? Um, you know, I got my first midterm back and it was like a 32, <laughs> you know, the average was like a 60, but still, right. you know, that was like the first time it was like, I, you know, like, oh, I need to put like actual effort in. Like, I feel like, you know, high school, I kind of just like, I got by, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like, like you know, I, I graduated with like a B plus average, you know, I probably could have done better, but you know, it wasn't until maybe sophomore year, I was like, you know what, I'm going to take classes that I actually enjoy. And um, you were a journalism major. I was a journalism major. And aside from my journalism classes, because this is the thing about Medill is they want you to be well-rounded so that when you interview people, you kind of have like a taste of these different areas. So I had to take a little bit of math, a little bit of science, a little bit of like a philosophy-based course. I had to take um, stats. So, you know, just like a little bit of everything to be like well-versed in all the different categories. Yeah. And I had to take econ, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, yeah, I started taking classes that I really enjoyed. I think my favorite class was, it was like a, it was an education based class. You know, we talked about, I did the, um, AmeriCorps national teaching fellowship. And a lot of that was inspired by this class that I took. Okay. Um, with Professor Carrie Snyder. She's very inspiring to me. Very nice. Yeah, Medill happens to be the number one school of journalism in the country. So <laughs> that's awesome. Um, well, uh, Tor, do you have any more questions? So I just want to say your, your story's definitely been inspiring, and I appreciate you sharing it. I know it's difficult to talk about past vulnerabilities and different things, but I think that's going to be helpful for people to hear this. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, eating disorders is not unique to cross country or track. I mean, there's so many other sports where, you know, we see evidence of that, right? I mean, wrestling, boxing, gymnastics, figure skating. Absolutely. It's funny. Um, our closest friends, from the other sports was the wrestling team. And I think it was for this very reason. That bond. <laughs> it's yeah. That bond. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's unique with athletes too, because you do, like we said, you get that positive reinforcement. Sometimes your results get better. Yeah. And something like something like wrestling, you, you have to cut weight essentially if you want to make a certain uh, weight, weight division. So exactly. it makes it a lot more difficult, I think, to identify an eating disorder and to treat an eating disorder. Because if you, if you treat an eating disorder and get someone to their adequate, justifiable weight, it may actually hinder their performance. Yeah. 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 It's tough. tough. But balance. I think I think it going back to like Northwestern and different programs, it'd be helpful. To, it sounds like you have a sports psychologist, but that's more so dedicated to performance. If if there's someone there, not just a medical professional, but a mental health professional that kind of can keep an eye on, at least maybe give an introductory lecture, overview, or some sort of program. Where that to help you kind of find that fine line and walk that path without risking stress fractures or being pulled off by the yeah. medical expert. Or, yeah, 
for sure. I mean, just speaking from, you know, talking with my teammates and other student athletes, like depression was a very big problem that was not talked about at all. Like you just kind of, you just kind of dealt with it. I mean, for lack of better words, but, um, and like even anxiety, like our top, one of our top five at big 10 dropped out. She had a panic attack. She dropped out at the one K and you know, this is big, a big 10 champion. Like this is big. This is a big deal. Um, and you know, had we had someone to turn to for, you know, for mental health concerns for, you know, like I'm feeling really anxious about like school, getting sleep, eating right. Like, everything that we have to balance there. There's no one really to turn to from a mental health standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you mentioned anxiety and, you know, we know that anxiety uh, is highly, highly associated with eating disorders. I mean, in fact, it, it used to be that uh, eating disorder uh, was classified as an actual anxiety disorder according to, um, uh, you know, psychiatrists' diagnostics, you know, manual. So, uh, yeah, you know. Um, like anxiety, depression, eating disorders, they, they kind of all intermingle. If you have one, you're at risk for the other. But like you said, you're balance, it's like a balancing act. So many different yeah. stressors. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Uh, hopefully, at this point, there's something in place or at least you have someone to talk to, or at least it's not an environment where you kind of keep it behind closed doors. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. I think the, the great thing about a mental health expert, as you mentioned, you know, someone who's a licensed mental health expert at least, is it's a, it's a confidential environment where nothing has to go beyond, you know, what, what is talked about in that room. It's a safe place. And I think when you're struggling with stuff, and especially when you have like a team that you're kind of accountable to, you know, it's important to, to kind of be able to just keep some things confidential, you know, if you want to and, or, you know, if you need to. And, and just having that, that outlet, that resource just in case. Yeah. yeah. So tell us, what are you up to now? Um, now um, I work, work at a law firm um, in downtown L.A., Big law. Still, yeah, big law. <laughs> big law. Um, I still run, but I feel like I have a much healthier relationship with running. I feel like during parts of high school and college, it kind of it felt like running lost, like I lost my love for the sport, and like it became like a chore and like a job. Like I was showing up for work and. Now I feel like I can actually like enjoy running again. I can, you know, like enjoy just like being outside and like just like the physical act of running like I used to. Yeah, I just I just want to share something that Janelle taught me for uh, those novice runners out there. Here's a, a simple way to improve your form. Okay, so you want to orient your arms as you're running along in step and in rhythm, like you're beating a drum. All right. If you can imagine yourself beating a drum, you know, kind of going back and forth, right to left, right to left, right, in stride, that apparently is a very energy-saving maneuver, 
and I've tried it and it works and it, and it actually uh, does help your endurance. So there you go. Courtesy of yours truly. Janelle the Gazelle. Janelle, Janelle, Janelle the Gazelle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, Janelle, we are uh, so thankful, so grateful to have you and joined us tonight. Yeah, this is going to be a very special podcast. And uh, I know Tori feels the same. Yeah. Thank you. Guys. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right. Yeah. You ready? Let's, let's end, end the, the stigma. stigma. And let's continue the conversation. All right. Do you feel me?